This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Thursday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. Thanks for all the scheduling changes, but we were able to get EJ for Thursday. So rather than go a whole week without him, we go from Monday to Thursday. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing today? Everything okay? I heard you called the baseball game. Yes, I did call a baseball game. It's much different than hockey. Uh, the pace is much different, but it was fun. And we did it off a monitor, obviously, and you know there was a little bit of a delay, so we were kind of talking over each other. But people seemed to like it. It was fun. It's sports. It's supposed to be entertaining, no? Correct. <laughs> Correct. Sometimes you got to remind people of that, though. So, you know, it's uh, gotta have fun. That's it. Especially when we're getting down to you know, we're a week away from the start of the season, these games don't mean anything. It's like, all right, let's get going already. So, um, that's true. That's it like was it's fun. A, it's like in the NHL when we get to a normal exhibition hockey season. We're like by the you know we like the games when they first appear, and usually in mid September, and then by you know the end of September, early October, we're like, okay, let's get on with it. So that's probably the same feeling. Yeah, a little bit of a trivia question for people that you may not know that. Before I did my first ever Ranger game, which was Ranger Flyers in October of 2008, um, they let me do an exhibition game um, just to get uh, some chops before the games actually counted, and EJ was nice enough to be my analyst. Do you remember that? Uh, Boy, that was a long time ago. (laughs) That was a long time ago. Probably September 08. It was Rangers Lightning. Okay. And the booth was empty because television wasn't even covering the game, and, and we did a couple of periods. So I, I thank yeah. you for everything yeah, that's well, happened since. Well, hey, listen, you're the you've worked very hard. You do a great job, and uh, you know your success has made me extremely happy because it's another example of someone who's worked hard and done the right things to get where they are. And uh, you know you didn't have um, you know somebody uh, from above pushing you. You had to do the work, and uh, you know you've done a great job. So I'm happy well. to see it. Thank you, and you have as well. So, top of the world, not for both of us. You on uh, NHL now on television covering the sport that you love, and I'm getting to do what I do, and we come together once a week to talk a little hockey, and uh, let's do that with uh, two two really big stories from yesterday. You know, one certainly sad, the other just disturbing. Let's start with disturbing, and that's the situation with Tim Peel. And I felt bad because you remember, we, you know, Tim came by NHL Live, and we got to hang with him. Yep. Got to know him a little bit, and I've always been a fan. Um, but I think the NHL did what they had to do. Uh, what, how do you feel the way they handle it? Yeah, I feel exactly the way you do. I mean, we got to know Tim a little bit uh, when he would come into the store and uh, kind of Natalie-dressed guy, and uh, he was uh, he's repped this league a long time. He's kind of a polarizing figure. Some uh, fans uh, don't feel he's a, a very good official, and that's been widely documented over the years with people's comments. We used to take calls, and uh, there have been you know comments over time. And you know others think Tim does a great job. So I mean, it's you know that's the nature of being an official, being a referee in any sport, but certainly in the NHL, where people have because you're around for a while, people get to know you, and uh, you know you impact the game. You know, so directly, because it's a very difficult job. I always say that. I mean, no matter what, you can be critical, and guys make mistakes, and they make big mistakes that are obvious mistakes sometimes, but it's a really incredibly hard job to do. So, you know, from a personal standpoint, uh, and I haven't talked to Tim in a while, but I hope he's he's well, and, uh, 
you know, so you feel bad for a guy on a personal level. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is a business and there's people have jobs to do. And the fact that uh, he said what he said and it was caught on, on, on a, uh, a hot microphone and everybody heard it. I don't know what choice the National Hockey League had in that case other than to, you know, just basically shut him down a month before his retirement. He was scheduled to, to officiate his last game on April the 24th, so it was exactly a month. Yesterday was the uh, 24th of March that uh, they decided that he would officiate no more games. I don't think they really fired him, per se, because uh, with the with the officials' union, I, you know, and, and things of that sort, I think if he had been, you know, I think this would have been a more contentious story if he had been in the middle of his career. Right. And then maybe there would have been a fight between the official union and the NHL, and so this could have dragged on. I think because of the circumstances we're in, I think that uh, he's not technically fired. He's just not going to work anymore, and I I would assume he's going to continue to get whatever pension he has coming to him based on his years of service. But, uh, you know, the other thing, too, Don, and, and you know this way better than me because, you're doing a, a radio show day in and day out, taking calls from people, and you know the pulse of of the sports fan and, and where things are going. I mean, the league is now in partnership, as a lot of leagues are, with uh, with sports books and with gambling operations because it's more mainstream now. It's more it's legalized in different states, and it's something we talk about more, uh, kind of in, in more of a mainstream manner. And you can't have uh, it's even less of the, the uh, feeling of impropriety in any way that goes to the integrity of the game. So I think that's another factor here that uh, you have to take into account. So I think the league did what they should do. I feel bad for Tim. Maybe we have a bigger discussion about the idea of how these games are officiated. I think it's a chance for the league to maybe look at that. Um, but, you know, I think in the end that the league did what they had to do, and I, I do feel bad for Tim, but he said what he said, and that's how it goes. Now, this could apply to any sport because every sport has those little unwritten rules. You know, the, the Wade Boggs would always get the benefit of the doubt on the outside corner. You know, Michael Irvin would get the benefit of the doubt on an offensive pass interference because he was a Hall of Fame wide receiver, basketball players traveling. You know, we understand that. And I think everybody realizes that makeup calls are just part of any sport. But if you ever were to ask Gary Bettman or Roger Goodell or Adam Silver or Rob Manfred, if those things happen, they would deny it. And they would say, no, that's a, that's a myth. That's an urban legend. Because they have to. So when something gets caught like this and confirms all of our feelings, well, then that person ends up getting fired or relieved of his duties because that's the answer to the league. So well, Gary Bettman can then say, well, listen, I told you these things didn't exist because when it happened, we let the guy go. And and so it seems like it's harsh to people, but you're right, the integrity and the gambling part of it too. You know, any other year, that's a meaningless game between new, two non-playoff teams, the, the, the Predators and the Red Wings. But people are betting the winner. Uh, people are betting the over-under, you know, and they're betting, believing that these games are called to the best of the ability, that there aren't makeup calls, that there aren't bogus things to take place. And so I, I really don't know what other thing the NHL could have done. Because anything other than relieving him of his duties, whether it's firing him or taking him off the schedule, is in a left-handed sort of way condoning what he did. And there's no way that the, any league could ever do that. Nope, not at all. And uh, so and I agree with you. And I, you know, I think, listen, we can have that argument or discussion, let's say, not argument, let's, but we can have that discussion 
about how the games are officiated at the National Hockey League level and what you know what uh, we've seen over many many years. I always go back to what Kevin Allen told us when we were doing the radio show together, and Kevin was working for USA Today, and uh, he said, you know, you go back in time and you go into the archives and read stories from the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. There's one common theme is that there's always complaining about the officials and there's missed calls or bad calls. And the job of the officials has only gotten harder in the, in the decade in which the NHL has, uh, has been playing. And uh, the game is so hard. Imagine running back and forth on skates uh, on a hundred or 200 by 85 surface, trying to avoid 10 other guys who just, oh, by the way, happen to be the very best at what they do in the world and trying to kind of uh, look through traffic and decipher penalties and, and with guys who, oh, by the way, are trying to cheat as well. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, it, it's a very, very difficult job. Um, people that the discussion now is just call things that are in the rule book. And I think I've always been somebody that if you did that for, for a long period of time, that the players would figure it out and they would understand what you're calling. But there are those who play the game that like to have a little leeway, that like to have that communication with the official where the ref will say, hey, don't do that again, I saw that, you know, and try to manage things, which I think is also important to manage the temper, the, the temperature of, of a really physical game. So I, I think there's a lot of room for discussion. But in the end, just know it's a very, very difficult job. And, uh, you know, I do feel personally, I do feel bad for Tim for what happened. But in the yeah. end, you know, as I said, he did make the comments himself. We didn't force him to say it. It was picked up on a live mic. I'm sure it gets said by, you know, I'm sure it gets it gets said all the time in different sports. There's, there's communication that we've never been privy to before that maybe isn't as similar to that, but in a different way, the same message. And, uh, you know, but in this case, uh, you know, it got on the mic. Everybody heard it. And so this is what happened. And, again, I applaud the league for doing what they did because they had to. All right, and the other story was uh, Bobby Plager passes in a car accident at the age of 78, and you know when you can't think of the Blues without thinking about a Plager, right? Whether it's Barkley, whether it's Bill, whether it's Bob, and, and Bob was such a part of that Cup run a couple of years ago, and I'm so glad he got a chance to see his team finally win a Stanley Cup. I got a chance to meet him in 2019, the last time I was in St. Louis. Just a fun guy, and just it's just really terrible that now now all three of those brothers are gone. Yeah, they were there at the very uh, early stages of the St. Louis Blues organization. And I think if you live in St. Louis uh, and, you've, and you've grown up and you're of a certain age, uh, the Plager brothers are a big part of the sports landscape in that city. And, uh, yeah, it's really, really sad. Bob Plager was, uh, you know, he was kind of a, he was a, you're right. I mean, he was a, a funny guy and he, uh, he was a big, burly man. He was a big, burly, strong defenseman that played a physical game in an era when that was really more part of the game and uh like i said just part of the part of the landscape in st louis I and mean, if you if you've grown up in st louis if you've been a fan of sports in st louis you know for the last 40 years i mean even if you weren't a big hockey fan you knew the plaguers and you knew who bobby plager was mm-hmm. so it's a it's a sad sad day and you know for fans in st louis and you know it's kind of an odd day in that both of these stories that we're talking about they both are they both surround people that have a background in St. Louis because Tim Peel is that has lived in St. Louis and been from St. Louis. So I mean that's it's kind of an odd uh, coincidence that these happen on the same day. But uh, you know, 
our condolences, my condolences certainly yeah. to the Plager family and to all those who were close to Bobby Plager. And you're right. It was good that, uh, you know, you, in retrospect, it's great that someone like that got to see uh, the team that he was affiliated with for so long win the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. EJ, how concerned are you about Philadelphia? Very concerned. I mean, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs based on what we're seeing right now. Uh, the uh, You know, I said at the start of the year, I said it last year, I mean, I like the, uh, you know, they have some really good players there, but in the end, it's going to be how good is Carter Hart uh, in goal. I mean, is he going to be able to, to hold down the ship for the, for the Flyers and be really a guy that can, can be there night after night? Now, to be fair, the Flyers' defense in front of them has been very poor. I think they, their defensive zone coverage has been bad. There's been too many missed opportunities. But, you know, in the end, goaltenders, especially highly thought of goaltenders, have to help clean up some of that mess. And I think it's been kind of one hand in gloves, so to speak. You know, the defense has been bad, and the goaltending has struggled, and the defense has been the confidence of the defensive shot. The forwards don't aren't coming back in coverage. Elaine Vino likes to play a man-to-man style game, and uh, you know guys are not forwards are not in the places they need to be. The defensemen, you know, Philip Myers, for example, is someone that uh, you know they had higher hopes for, and uh, it's been a struggle for them this year. When young defensemen struggle and lose their confidence, it's very it's very evident in their game, and so they've got. Uh, you know, they've got a group right now that I think Chuck Fletcher said it. He, he had a press conference yesterday and he talked about, you know, maybe the mix isn't really right at this point. And much has been made of the fact that Matt Niskanen decided to retire. Niskanen and Provoff were a really nice pair together. I'm sure there's something to that. But at the end of the day, um, I think what Chuck said is right. The mix isn't quite right now. I think they need to kind of reevaluate, uh, you know, their group. They've got a lot of really good young players. They got, they've got some really terrific veterans. I mean, JVR has, has had a terrific year at the start, yeah. putting up a lot of points. There's a lot of things to like within that group, but right now they're just not anywhere near on the same page. And Carter Hart is, and Chuck Fletcher did say this again. He said, I think he's going to be a good goalie for a long time. Right now, he's not really on top of his game, and that's, that's exactly right. And you can't lean... I don't think it's fair to say you can lean on Brian Elliott for long stretches and expect to be no. successful. I think he's a guy that's there to mentor Hart and to be the guy that plays, you know, uh, to give him a blow every once in a while. But right now it's a mess, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So do you still try to trade for Ekholm, or do, do you try to do something to save it? I hear that. I heard a couple of things. Again, was, you know, Chuck talked yesterday extensively about a lot of different things, and he talked about the fact that uh, right now it's been pretty hard to even talk about deals because nobody is that eager to take on money, which makes sense in a world that we live in with a flat cap and with uncertainty moving forward economically. So I can understand that. Um, it seems like they're, you know, that, that Ekholm was not somebody that uh, in the last two, three weeks is someone that they really had targeted. They, you know, there's been a little talk about him early and then it seemed like they switched their focus. Maybe Nashville just uh, wanted too much for Ekholm. You know, it's hard to say, but it seems like they need a right shot defenseman there, but they need a, they need a couple of changes. And I get the sense that, that Chuck isn't going to blow things up to try to fix it in this kind of, uh, shortened season. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be giving away good young players or, or assets. At this point, uh, in that regard, I think it's something that they're going to have to try to fix from within. They might make one tweak. They might move one guy out. But, uh, you know, I think right now mm-hmm. they've got to look long and hard. That whole, you know, Chuck and the, and the whole 
management team, the coaching staff, they've got to look and say, okay, where are we, you know, why is this not working right now and uh, what can we do to fix it? But they seem a little bit light and confused on defense. Their forwards aren't, aren't really connected to that defensive zone coverage that uh, they're trying to use there in Philly and their goaltenders are struggling. So that's obviously a pretty bad mix. Yeah, it's tough. And, and the Islanders, they're going to be looking to replace Lee, right? And Lou has always been aggressive when he feels like he's got a team that can win the, the Cup, whether it's going out and getting you know McGilney or Gilmore or Neuendijk or Neil Broughton. He's always gotten that guy when he feels like he's close, and he must feel like he's close with this Islander team, right? So of the players that could be available, whether it's Hall, whether it's Palmieri, there's a host of players that he could choose from. Who do you think is the best fit? To replace Lee? Well, the best fit for me is in Columbus with Nick Foligno, and he's the captain of the Blue Jackets. But, like, and that was more viable, like, three weeks ago when the Jackets seemed to be floundering and out of it. But the Blackhawks have struggled, and the Blue Jackets have kind of put their game together a little bit, as have the National Predators. They've played better as well. All of a sudden, that's tightened up for the last playoff spot. So, I don't think that. Foligno will likely not be available. Now, he is at the end of his contract there in Columbus, and, you know, they've got to figure out, you know, he's 33 years of age, but he's a big, strong left shot guy that can move up and down your lineup, and he's a, he's a, he's a guy that you could see playing for Lou Lamarillo, right, and for Barry Trott. Yeah. So he would be a, a great fit, in my mind. You know, like Pajot was a great fit when they acquired him, and that is important for what Lamarillo is going to do because the Islanders play a certain style of game, and, you know, watching Taylor Hall recently in Buffalo, and, and, you know, it's been a tough situation there. But I don't know if Taylor Hall could play the kind of game that the Islanders want their, you know, their left wingers in certain situations to play. And, you know, he seems like he's above the puck a lot. A lot and then he's been in, you know, it's been a bad situation for everybody there has struggled. But, he's, you know, he's been, you know, Eddie O pointed it out last night, a couple of turnovers and bad situations. So that's not something that would fly that well with uh, Barry Trotz and Lamarillo. Now, you know, and also he's, he's got a lot of money that he's, uh, you know, he's, he's against the cap. It's, it's significant. Would Buffalo eat money? Could the Islanders fit it in based on Andrews Lee being on a long-term injury? Uh, Palmieri might be more of a fit, but, you know, he's a right-shot guy. Are they looking for a left-shot forward to replace Lee? That's something to consider as well. The Devils are actually playing better of late, and the Devils might want to keep Kyle Palmieri because he's a he's been part of their team for a while, and they've got a lot of young players, and he's a, he's a, he's kind of a good character guy that still can score goals. So, I think in the end for the Islanders, it, it will be about fit and what they can afford to do, and those really do mitigate the the you know the possibilities. So it might be a circumstance where the Islanders end up not doing a lot and end up moving forward with the idea that Oliver Wallstrom is, is emerging and can be more of a factor for them. And then maybe the, you know, they have to lean on the Del Coles and the, the Bellows and some of their other younger players in their organization a little bit more. So I'll be curious to see if Luke can get it done if he wants to. But I, I do think with the way they play, it has to fit the mode of how they want to play. And that is important. And that's why Ty Show was such a good pickup, because he does fit that. Yeah, he was. That was a nice move. I and I and I, I told Islander fans that this can be exciting because this is what Lou does. I mean, Lou's always kind of conservative, but when he thinks he's got a team that's got a chance to win, he'll bring in yeah. a big name. He'll take a and, shot. He'll and, take and, a and shot. Listen, I, listen, you don't want to lose Lee, 
but you do feel like that he'll he'll fill that hole and, and they're and they're still playing well and I, I really like that team a lot I do and I think they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with and I think Lou will make uh, a right decision but you're right I mean Columbus Columbus is finding themselves kind of back in it here um, the trading deadline is still a little ways away but we'll kind of see how it all kind of plays itself out here but uh you know I, I think that islander team is really good and i think lou when he he has yeah. to believe he's got a team that's good enough to win the cup and when he did that in new jersey there's a there's just so many names he was able to pick up that helped oh yeah no question and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't but, gilmore didn't um, work right know, gilmore didn't work yeah. neil broughton probably was the best of them you know newendike worked out very well them. absolutely yep. but it wasn't for a lack yep. of trying well, Newendike was a bigger deal, right? And that I don't know if that was like just adding a piece because they traded some guys out of there as well. I mean, it was Arnott, right? It was, uh, it was a, you know, it was Langenbrunner and Newendike to the Devils. I believe it was Arnott, and I forget who the other piece was going the other way. But you're right. Lewis definitely had a history of, of uh, you know, when he feels he's got a shot to do something, he does it. But, again, we live in a different world these days for sure. I mean, some of those deals we're talking about is, as much as we hate to say it, Don, they were like 20 years ago now, right? So it's 25 years ago in the case of Broughton. So the world has changed and we're certainly in a different situation with the salary cap and, and with, uh, you know, a, a flat cap and there are different things that, that come into play here. But if, if Lou senses that he can do something to help the team at the end of the day, you know, he'll do it. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about, uh, the border situation with Canada. Um, in preparing for that Blue Jay Yankee game that I did yesterday, um, I saw a quote from Mark Shapiro, who's the president of the Blue Jays, and he believes that the Blue Jays are going to have to start the baseball season in Dunedin, um, their spring training facility in Florida, because they can't start in Toronto. They're not going to be able to travel because of the quarantine situation. And he's he's optimistic, he said, that they can be back in Toronto by July 1st. Conference finals, EJ, are going to be in the middle of June. And we had Gary Bevan on the K show, and he really didn't have an answer because he doesn't know. You know, they've got plans yeah. in place, but it's really looking to me like when that conference final starts, they're going to have to pause for two weeks because I don't know what else they could do. Because that Canadian team that comes out of that Canadian division is either going to have to come to the States or the three teams that win are going to have to go up to Canada if they decide to play in a bubble. So is, uh, unless something changes here and Biden you know, changes the rules for the quarantine, I guess the NHL is going to have to hit pause for two weeks before we start the third round. I don't see any other way around it. And, and also, you know, the Canadian government has got a big say in that, right? I mean, in terms of what they're going to allow. Yeah. And the provinces all have a say in that. So, And then the states have different rules. So, I mean, there's a lot of things. Now, welcome to Gary Bettman's world. You know, and welcome to the world of all the, you know, of the, of the, of the leagues where they have played that, that, that does take place in Canada and outside the United States, right? Um, so that is the challenge. I'm not surprised he doesn't have an answer that he can give you right now because they don't have one. I think what they have is like six scenarios of different things they could do. I mean, maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you know, decide, they decide, let's, let's use them for an example. It could be the Edmonton Oilers. It could be anybody who wins, wouldn't pay Jets. But whoever it is, maybe they, uh, you know, come to, come to the States and kind of set up shop in, you know, a, in Buffalo, for example, or in, uh, you know, any number of places, uh, places where they could be. And that's, and they, they set up shop in, in, in that particular city and they play out of there. And then we just play the, 
regular conference final that way. Uh, maybe we do have to go into a bubble to ensure that all the games are played and they're played in a timely manner. Right. So that's a possibility. Um, you know, there, there's a number of, of different possibilities, I would say, right now. Right, but, but every one of them get... is going to have to include a pause. Because whether it's Toronto well, going I mean, to Buffalo or, or you're, you're those, at least right now, those well, players would have to like, quarantine for 14 days. Well, I think you got to remember, too, like, you know, the, the situation with Cedric Paquette, right? He drove from Carolina or from Ottawa to Carolina and was able to avoid that because he was coming into the United States and he drove and, you know, like, again, there's so many rules down there. My head's going to explode. I know. But believe me, I'm sure that they're very well-versed in what the rules are in every province, you know, at the border, in all the states. And I'm sure they're thinking about all those things. So I'm sure, you know, I would say that there would be a way for them to do it without having two weeks to pause. Now there might be a break of some sort, but I, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, there's probably a way I mean, if the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, again, I use them as an example because they're the best. They seem like they're the best team in the North right now. And they come to mind more quickly, but it could be any of the teams. Uh, you know, let's say they win that second round. They, uh, they all have to test. Maybe they all get on a bus and they have to, and they drive in or they take a private plane I mean, it seemed like when Patrick Laine came from from Winnipeg to Columbus, he was able to get playing within several days. Whereas, on the flip side, whereas Pierre-Luc Dubois went from Columbus to Winnipeg, it took literally two weeks for him to play and have to go through quarantine. So there's an right. example of how the rules were different in different circumstances. So I'm sure that the league is very aware, having gone through this now for a while, of what the rules are for in, in, in the provinces, in the states, mm-hmm. in the, you know, for each country. And I'm sure that's on that blackboard somewhere where they've got that list of scenarios sure. that are going to play out. But I think the league, to use the Lou line, which has been used many times, and the league, I think, takes advantage of this as well, is that when you have time, use it. Just like we just talked about the Islanders and the trade deadline, the trade deadline is April 12th. Lou has time until April 12th to make a decision. He'll use that time most likely unless something is just coming that he can't resist. And I think in the case of uh, the league, I mean, they're going to use the time between now and uh, when we get to closer to the semifinals to come up with a solution to the problem. And the world, you know, listen, the world is different, it seems like, every two days. So I think it's hard to speculate what the world is going to look like in you know in oh, yeah. late May as opposed to where it is now. So I mean, the vaccine is out there. It seems like things are, are moving in the right direction. Although now there's been a spike in cases in some states because I guess you had spring break and who knows? I'm not a doctor. I don't no. even play one on TV. Never. But I think the league know is very well aware of all these scenarios, and I think that they've got a number of things to think about, and some are more palatable than others, mm. and. They will wait and see what makes sense, and then they will make a plan as they get closer to that time. And hopefully, again, because nothing's really a done deal in this world anymore, hopefully they'll be able to get through it. Um, Just looking at the schedule tonight, I think the game of the night is the Golden Knights and the Avalanche. Uh, The Avalanche did have their winning streak snapped with a loss in overtime, but now, now they're healthy, and now they're looking like the team everybody thought they'd be at the beginning of the season. But Vegas is still the first place team. 
I think that's a very interesting contest because I think Colorado's finally whole again and really a dangerous team in the West. Yeah, they've been fun to watch over the last little bit. Even the other night they lost in the shootout, but, I mean, it was kind of a weird game. Uh, Jonas Johansson, who they had acquired for some reason from the Buffalo Sabres, <laughs> uh, was in net, and, uh, uh, you know, they ended up uh, they had a 4-2 lead in the third period and give Arizona credit. They battled back, got a couple of goals, tied it up. Uh, they killed a penalty in overtime. Uh, Colorado had a number of good chances. Aiden Hill was really good. And they ended up winning in a shootout. But uh, I would expect Phil Grubauer will be back in goal for this one tonight. And uh, I'll be curious to see because the way that the Avalanche have been playing, it just has me dreaming of an Avalanche-Lightning Stanley Cup final because that would be uh, that would be a fantastic Cup final. I mean, the speed and the skill and the, the depth of those teams is just terrific. And to see something like that. I hope we get to see it because there's never a guarantee, right, John? I mean, we never saw a Penguins, we never saw a Penguins Blackhawks Cup Final. We never saw a playoff series between those two teams, right? And with Crosby and Malkin and Kane and Taze, and they were both teams that won Stanley Cups, but they never met. And, uh, you know, and even the LA Kings who won two Cups in the early part of the, you know, the teams, uh, you know, they never cross paths with the with the penguins and so um you know some series you think about you never get them um but i'm hoping that hope maybe it's this year i hope it's this year and that's no knock on the vegas golden knights or any other other teams in the league but i would just love to see tampa and colorado play because i just think that would be an would be just a fantastic seven game series yeah, no, there's no question about that. And with Tampa getting Kucherov back in time for the postseason, uh, just oh, talking about the skill oh. on the ice at one time would just be absolutely incredible. A couple of notes. It looks like Ovechkin's going to be ready to go tonight against the Devils. He had missed practice because of a lower body injury. Um, Rangers look like they're going to get Igor Shosturkin back. And now, now Howden's in COVID protocol, but when you still look at the Rangers now, this is what they expected to be. Right, you got Panarin back, Zibanejad's playing like he was last year. You've got your starting goaltender back, and let's face it, their goaltending has not really been great this year. Um, I don't know if it's too late for the Rangers, EJ, but when you look at when you look at what's ready for them in the second half of the season, it looks like at least they'll get after it with the team they thought they'd have. Yeah, it seems like they've uh, you know they've taken a step, they've kind of gradually gotten better, and now they. You know, they've taken off a little bit. Uh, with a win in regulation over the Flyers this evening, they can uh, they can go into a virtual tie for fifth place. I think it's probably be tricky to get to fourth by the end of the year, although, you know, the Boston Bruins are in an interesting spot because they've just gone through the COVID, uh, a COVID situation there. They had to shut down for a while. Looks like they're going to play the Islanders tonight, uh, but they'll be, they might be short a player or two. Um they were struggling before this. So the Bruins might be a little bit vulnerable. We'll have to watch and see that, you know, if that, if that happens, I mean, that's where you can get back in it is if somebody falters, like the Blackhawks in the central division faltered under really tough pressure. They were playing Tampa, Carolina, and Florida. It seemed like every night and they faltered. And then, you know, Columbus and Nashville were able to push back up and Columbus actually got into that fourth spot. Chicago winning the other night, I guess, pushes them back into that, that, that hole, but 
you know, the Rangers have been playing better. And, you know, with these things, it's always kind of a day-to-day thing. So we'll see if they can continue to play that well. The uh, the situation with uh, the Rangers coaching staff being in COVID protocol and Chris Nabok coming in and uh, the team has responded in the last couple of games. So that's kind of an odd coincidence. We'll see, you know, if that situation uh kind of resolves itself. Hopefully David and the staff will get back behind the bench and be out of that protocol. I'm not sure if that happens tonight or if they need a little more time. And, uh, you know, the Rangers have been more fun to watch for sure. So we'll see. I think they can make a push. I just it really depends upon if Boston struggles because that will open the door. Yeah, because you've seen, you know, the Devils really went in free fall. They had a little bit of a spurt when they came out of it. Now, granted, they were gone for, for like two weeks, I think, so a little bit different. Yeah. Boston's only missed a couple of games. But also, you know, Boston's lost all four games against the Islanders this year. So it, it's yeah. going to be very interesting to see how things go down the stretch. The trading deadline, as you said, is kind of right around the corner, although April 12th, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and, and April yeah. 12th. So that's that's over two weeks from now. So, so much can happen. But uh, this was fun, man. We kept it a long time, but there was so much to get into, so much to talk about, and uh I'm looking forward to a, a pretty wild night of hockey tonight. Oh yeah, a lot of games. So uh, I'm looking forward with you. That 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 Vegas Colorado game should be very intriguing. They've got, I believe, it's four more matchups between now and the end of the season. It seems like they're on a collision course to play uh, more more likely in the second round. Uh, Minnesota's played well. St. Louis has had a lot of injuries, you know. But you saw. Colorado was going what they did to Minnesota last week back to back games 5 1 and 6 nothing. So, uh, looking forward to that Avalanche uh, Golden Knights game tonight. Yeah, no question. All right, buddy, I'll talk to you on Monday. All right, you got it. All right, that is the great EJ Raddick. We talk to him every Monday. We did it Thursday because of just some scheduling snafus and all that stuff, but we finally were able to connect with him and, and some good stuff, especially with the Tim Peel and the Bobby Plager. There's a lot of things that happened yesterday that we had to get into. And as I mentioned, a lot of great games tonight. I'll be hosting the Rangers and the Flyers from Philadelphia tonight doing the pre and post. Shesterkin looks like he is going to make the start for the Rangers. Philadelphia in a bit of free fall here. So if the Rangers can win this game in regulation, they can tie the Flyers for fifth and maybe get a little closer to Boston, who's coming off the protocol. We'll find out a little bit later today who's in, who's out of the lineup. But there were five players in COVID-19 protocol when those two games were postponed, and it's an Islander team that has beaten the Bruins all four times they've faced them, so tough spot for Boston. As I mentioned, Ovechkin looks like he'll be in the lineup tonight for the Capitals as they're home for the Devils. Hurricanes and the Blue Jackets, Carolina desperately trying to get back into the playoff picture, and a win could do that for them tonight. Senators, who had a big win last night against the Flames, they're not going anywhere, but they still play well. We'll take on Toronto. What more can you say, or less can you say, about the Buffalo Sabres? 15 consecutive losses now, 13 in regulation, 2 in the shootout. They fell to Pittsburgh last night. So that's the longest game, longest streak without a win in the shootout era, which goes back to the 05-06 season. And those two teams will play again in Pittsburgh tonight. St. Louis at Minnesota taking on the Wild. Wild held on for a 3-2 win against the Ducks last night. Blackhawks trying to hold on to that final playoff spot, uh, play host to the Panthers. Uh, Predators and the Red Wings again. Nashville trying to get back into it. Tampa, Dallas. Dallas coming off a 2-1 win against the Stars a couple of nights ago, so they'll play again. And the game of the night for me, Golden Knights and the Avalanche from Colorado. That should be a lot of fun. So we're back again tomorrow with the podcast. Now tomorrow, 
We're going to have the top five of the week. So if you want to chime in with that, at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We'll get back to the tweets and everything else uh, coming up tomorrow. We'll really focus on your reaction to everything that's been happening in the National Hockey League. Back with you again tomorrow. This was the Thursday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.